<clears throat> so let me read the original version of the story that Jesus told. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began uh, the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and cancelled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that, they had, that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat you, each of you, unless you forgive your brother from your heart. These are difficult words, aren't they? Um, but I, ho- I hope that we've already honed in on this basic idea that this is a story about how God's forgiveness of us needs to overflow uh, into our forgiveness of others. One, one of the challenges, whenever we read the parables, the stories that Jesus told, one of the challenges is of not over-interpreting uh, what Jesus is actually saying. Parables, basically are there to make one very simple point, but to drive it home. That's what story does for us. There might be all sorts of details within the story, which may be there just to ornament and give power to the story. And one of the challenges of reading um, these, therefore, is to make sure that we don't take things that Jesus included for some reason as actually the point of the story. So give me give you some examples. Um, Jesus often had a huge amount of comedy and sort of caricature in his stories. Um, the, the amount of money that uh, is, is written here is 10,000 talents. That was a sort of absurd amount of money. It was an, an emphatic, you couldn't really actually describe a bigger number. Um, it was a, if, you, if you were to roughly take it in terms of, of a, a laborer's wages, 10,000 talents, talents was about 15 years. So something like uh, uh, 250,000 would be one talent. So uh, I think, I mean, Phil can correct me, I make that two two and a half billion was the debt that this servant had outstanding. Um, So uh, for anyone, that's an unrealistic thing to repay. And of course, one of the things that Jesus leaves hanging is, well, how on earth did this guy end up with a debt like that? And why on earth did the king allow that to happen? Those are the kind of questions which 
which animate the story for us, but aren't actually the point that Jesus is making. There is this absurd figure, this caricature. Um, the, the other figure, just so you know, um, uh, denarii, uh, well, there are about 6,000 denarii to the talent. Um, so if, if, the, if the big debt was about 2.5 billion, the little debt was about 4,000 pounds. So not insubstantial, um, but incomparably small at the same time. So that's just an example of the sort of emphatic caricaturing, almost a comedic element. There's also lots of cultural reference, references in these that, that are included because that's simply what would have happened in the story, that make the story make sense within the context. So this mention of a torturer at the end, this is what would happen if you had a massive debt, is you'd be thrown in jail. It's the same word as jailer, in fact. But the, the point was that if, you, if the jailer gave a little bit extra prodding to who made a bit more suffering for this poor chap that was in, in jail, his family would be that little bit more motivated to make sure they found the debt, found the money for the debt that he owed. So that was a, that was a normal part of the practice. And I, and I think that we would be running into all sorts of danger if we interpreted that as part of the point that Jesus was making. Um, and, and then there's, there's also just simple points of context. Um, Jesus is always talking parables to somebody specific. There's a specific thing that's going on um, when he tells a story. And of course, uh, it is Peter coming and saying, oh, someone's been mean to me. How many times do I have to forgive him? Um, that's, that's the context of the story. So that's the point that Jesus is trying to make. And, and as we look at the, the rest of the chapter, what we find is that there's a lot of talk uh, about God's fatherly, protective love. Uh, there's the story of the lost sheep in this chapter. God's searching out his children. Um, there's that sense of the grace of God as the, as the leveler, the great leveler of all of us. We are defined by our belovedness and by nothing else. Um, and therefore, there's no room for pride. There's no room to, to make any claim above anyone else. So, so those are just a few things that that give us a way of chipping away at actually down to what the story is really about. There's the, the, the comedy and caricature. There's the cultural references. And there's the context. So that's just a little bit of how you might read parables. Um, and with that in mind, some of the things that this parable is not saying are, number one, God treats us according to how we treat others. Um, there's masses of, uh, of places we could go in the Bible to, to talk about that. Um, it's, uh, God is, it's also not saying that God uh, will throw us in jail or throw us into hell um, if we are mean to other people. Um, it's also not saying that we should be doormats, uh, that um, our forgiveness of others should take on this character where anyone could do anything to us and we just forgive them. Um, there's a right sense of being angry at injustice um, and, and wanting to see justice and confront injustice in our world. Um, but rather, the story is really about the idea that if we understand God's forgiveness of us, we will be quick to forgive. Our, our treatment of others comes out of our understanding of how God 
has treated us. Um, we, are, we are to reflect God's forgiveness um, of us in the way we treat others. Just as last week in the story of the banquet, we are to reflect the hospitality that God has given us in the way that we treat other people. Um, you can have a listen online if you missed that. Um, Tom Wright puts it this way in his little book. He, he's done a whole series of books called For Everyone. Um, so each book of the Bible, For Everyone. And I can heartily recommend them um, as a great way to get into books. It's just something to use if you want to daily devotion and you want something a bit fresh can I recommend those books but one thing he says about this passage is that every time you forgive someone else you pass on a drop of water out of the bucketful that God has already given you we might put it around the other way around we might say that if you don't forgive people you haven't understood God's offer of forgiveness to you and that means that you haven't actually had that experience of restoration and, re- and reconciliation with God. The gospel story is fundamentally a story of reconciliation, of renewing relationships in various different directions. We might focus on the restoration of our relationship with God, but actually it's got more, it's more to it than that. There is our, it is, it, the, the gospel demands, part of it is our restoration of our relationships with other people. Um, it is our restoration, uh, the restoration of our relationship with the earth beneath our feet. Um, it is a restoration of our relationship with our own selves. All of these relationships are restored, and you cannot edit out some of these relationships um, in favor of others. They all come together as a package. Notice um, that final phrase um, that... Uh, that Jesus talks about, that you are to forgive your brother or sister from your heart. There's that sense in which uh, forgiveness transforms us and enables us to forgive. Um, let me read you another little quote from Tom um, about this. Forgiveness is like the air in your lungs. There's only room for you to inhale the next lungful when you've just breathed out the previous one. If you insist on withholding it, refusing to give someone else the kiss of life they may desperately need, you won't be able to take any more in yourself. Uh, You will suffocate very quickly. If your heart is open, able, and willing to forgive others, it will also be open to receive God's love and forgiveness. But if it is locked up to the one, it will be locked up to the other. So the point of this parable, let me say it again, is that for the servant to not forgive his friend the smaller debt, um, having experienced the forgiveness of the king, was a nonsense. It was a complete nonsense. Um, And I would say that the extent to which we fail to forgive, therefore, is the extent to which we have not ourselves fully looked into the face of our forgiveness do we accept our need uh, for forgiveness it's actually a very offensive idea it's one thing to forgive somebody who knows or believes that they need forgiving but actually it's, it's, a, it's strangely offensive isn't it to go up to somebody and say I forgive you like, hang on a second 
you know, that kind of assumes a knowledge of what has been going on. Um, and I think, especially in our culture, that's a very difficult idea, um, this idea that we do need forgiving. Um, and you could say within the story, uh, Jesus paints it worse than that. He, we are forgiven this massive debt uh, that is way beyond our ability to repay. Um, now, you, you might say that I'm, I'm in danger of using the details in just the way I told you not to use them a few minutes ago. Um, well, this is the, this is the way uh, that we have to negotiate these parables, and I'd say that in that, res- in that respect, there's plenty of other passages that we could point to that show us um, that sense of the magnitude of our need for forgiveness. Now, at All Souls, this is not something that we bang on about uh, very much. We've, we, we focus generally on the love of God, and that's absolutely right. That is always where we want to land. Sometimes, I know personally, though, the reason I do that is because it's, it is so unpopular to talk about the idea of sin and forgiveness. Um, and in my own experience of growing up in a context where there was a lot of sin talk, um, I've come to realize how that interacted with my own anxieties and my own experiences and so on. To drown out any talk of the love of God um, and, um, and so for me personally, uh, I know that feeling of not needing to hear any more about sin. Because what I need to hear is where the story lands. And that is uh, with the love that God has for us. Um, I'd also say that it is when we know God's love that we see our need for forgiveness. It's when we're confronted uh, with God's unstoppable, eternal love for us that we recognize how our own thoughts and feelings and attitudes towards him make us unworthy of that love. So love is the place to begin. Love is the place to end. Uh, But sometimes, and this morning is, I think, one of those times, just given the passage that um, I've foolishly given myself, um, Sometimes it is important to remember why it is that we need forgiving. Um, Because in fact, our forgiveness is the greatest demonstration of God's love for us. One of my favorite verses uh, comes from Romans 5. And and it just simply says this, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, still set against God, still really his enemies. Christ died for us. And I just want to spend a few minutes, just a couple of minutes really, talking through what that looks like as we understand it expressed in the Bible. It begins with that sense of being created to be loved. That is our purpose, that is our identity, that is why we exist. It is to be loved by God. But that's an identity that we each reject. Uh, We want to live for ourselves. We don't want to live uh, for God. We don't want to live out of that love. Uh, We we reject God's rightful place in our lives. And we place ourselves at the center 
of our own lives. And actually, that is an outrageous violence uh, against our creator who loves us, who actually gives us the very purpose of our lives, the one to whom we owe everything, a holy God whose standards uh, we fail to live up to. And it is right that God is angry about that. Um, but God's anger, is a very, it's a very difficult idea, isn't it? God's anger is not a sort of hot-headed, reactionary, boil-over anger, which is what ours looks like. Uh, God's anger is a holy uh, reaction to injustice and to evil. When you see injustice and suffering, um, whether that's connected to ISIS, the migrant crisis, I don't know, whatever it is, when you see injustice and suffering, you have that spark of anger. How much more should God, the righteous and holy and loving God, know that feeling of anger? Um, and, and to actually have it about us, that little the spark in us that actually reflects ISIS uh, and so on. John Stott um, talks about God's anger this way. He says, God's anger is absolutely pure. It is uncontaminated by those elements which render human anger sinful. It is always principled and controlled. Now, to get legal for a moment or two, we might be able to say at this point uh, that there, uh, there's, uh, we have a sense of diminished responsibility. We live in a very broken world. Um, uh, we are influenced by a broken element of culture and society and so on. Um, there is this sense of diminished responsibility for our actions, and God remembers this. The Bible talks about how God remembers that we are but dust. Um, but ultimately, we are free and responsible people, enough so that we can be held accountable uh, for our actions. And it gets worse. There is this sense that there's nothing that we in ourselves can do to absolve ourselves um, from uh, the situation we're in. And yet, at the same time, there is also nothing we can do to stop God from loving us with that everlasting, never-giving-up love. So the story of the cross, which we will celebrate in a few minutes in communion, um, is the story of God absorbing into himself the consequences uh, of our own rejection of him, of our own sin. Um, it is through that cross that we are offered forgiveness, restoration, a new start. We walk out of the throne room of God, forgiven a debt, just like the, uh, the servant in the story. We are free of that burden. God has forgiven us completely and utterly. It is a done deal. End of story. Notice that actually in the story... That is the assumption of the story, that we are forgiven, that it's all over. Yeah? Then the question is, well, what does that look like when uh, we interact with others? 
Of course, my prayer is that we will somehow manage to hold on to this story of our own forgiveness, God's love poured out for us, and that that will be the thing that controls the way we react to others when they wrong us. We are forgiven. There is now no condemnation. Do we accept that forgiveness? Do we walk with confidence that that is the truth? And do we reflect that in the way that we uh, deal with other people around us? Let's take a moment to be quiet. And maybe think about somebody with whom you have a difficult relationship at the moment, somewhere where forgiveness is what's needed. Uh, a, a difficult neighbor, a colleague at work, who knows? Maybe think about the week that lies ahead and the people that you're likely to interact with. What are the moments uh, when you will need to draw deeply on your own sense of forgiveness in the way you forgive others? Father, thank you that you have poured lavishly your love and forgiveness into our lives. And we pray that as we go out into this week, we would take that with us, that we would know that freedom, that liberty, that release, um, and that it would pour into the lives of those that we meet. Just a drop of water from the bucket of grace that you have poured into our lives. Amen.